0: Well, good morning, church. Why don't we stand and read chapter 2, for the verse 13, and First Peter. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Lord, we are thankful for the scriptures and how they teach us how to live out um, a Christian life that's pleasing to you. If we didn't have these instructions in here, uh, there's no way we would come up with the things uh, we actually uh, there's no way we come up with our own uh, your ways of living out life because we would just our flesh and our minds would just take us all over the place but you have a different way for us in a in a more right way and so we just uh come to you now to learn about one particular area of life in which all of us may at times have a hard time with which is um submitting to your to the governing authorities you've established but i pray that today is profitable for teaching and for learning and uh even conviction for some of us in some of the areas that we are maybe sort of falling short in. So we just uh, look forward to our time together. Strengthening your spirit to speak truth in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Genesis House. If you remember where we left off before my vacation, uh, we we were in 1 Peter, and we were looking at what it meant for you and I to be holy priests, holy priests. And there were really two aspects to this priesthood we uncovered. One was that we were to live out our lives in terms of our lives of worship, our lives of worship, and we are to live out our lives in terms of witness, um, both in our talk and in our walk. Now, when it came to our walk, these uh, these priestly lives were to reflect two main areas. First, we were to abstain in one particular area, abstain from sin. And we were to maintain, maintain good conduct in an unbelieving pagan world. Now, I want to focus a bit on this witness aspect because this idea of maintaining uh, good behavior at this point in our, in our studies had revealed really no areas in that sermon in terms of the, the categories Peter was thinking in. But beginning here in chapter 2, verse 13, all the way to 3, verse 7, he starts to give three specific categories in which he wants us as believers to maintain excellent conduct and to think about our behavior in the world. The first area is government, our relationship to government. The second, our relationship within the workplace. And third, the relationship within marriage. Now it's interesting that he brings up those three things 2,000 years ago because uh, in our culture today this is still very relevant as our relationships to the governing authorities, our work environments and our marriages are very still uh, (laughs) are very appropriate and often the areas that we sort of struggle to, to get along in. So let's begin by looking at Peter's instruction to the Christian in terms of how to relate to governing authorities. And we'll begin by reading verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake in every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Peter makes it very clear in the very first word what our relationship to the governing authorities is to be. We are to submit. The Greek word is uh, basically to arrange or place oneself under the authority of another or to be under the influence of another it also means to render obedience to render obedience to now he tells us here that we're to submit to every institution every human institution so we're not choose to um be basically choose one area and and reject another so we can't be free to pick and choose who are willing to submit to or not, it's our duty as Christians, according to Peter, to come under the authority and obey all levels of government and their instituted rulers from the top down. This is true from the politicians, from the you know, all the way from the Prime Minister, down to the peace officer who patrols Okotoks. And I mentioned him intentionally, or her, because that's the one that I struggle with the most. But we're not here to talk about me and my problems. We're here to talk about your, you and your problems. No just kidding. <laughs> anyway, but I don't know what your initial reaction is. But I'm guessing for many of us in here, like Darcy did before the sermon even started, makes the hairs in the back of your neck, if you have any, stand up, because and a bunch of bells and whistles goes off and many questions arise. And I think there's a couple reasons for this. The first reason would be this. Submission is a word in general that we as human beings do not like. We just don't want to hear it. All of us have this inner attitude, an inner sense of pride that says, "No one is going to tell me what to do. I'm the boss of my own life." This is not only true in our attitudes towards government, it spills out to, into every category of life, and we're going to be, it'll be fun to look at how this plays out in the workplace and also in marriage. But the reality is we're still told by Peter to submit to these governing authorities regardless of what our initial reactions is, and we, want, we can't balk at his command. But the second reason our hairs stand up on the back of our neck, I think, in terms, terms of submitting to the government, is because of the credibility of our government. <laughs> right? We have this attitude, why should I? I mean, look at them. These people basically are incompetent, they're not trustworthy. They make poor policies, they have very little moral standards in many many areas of life, Um, they don't uphold Christian values. So as a general rule, even though there's a few good ones out there, uh, the majority of the government and the people in authority under them aren't credible. So I'm not going to submit myself to uncredible, untrustworthy people. So I'm not sure if you relate to one of those more than the other, or whether uh, you relate to both of those uh, reasons for why we would have troubles with submission. But the reality is, is that our problem is not the idea of comprehending or understanding Peter's instruction, our problem is in doing it. You don't lack comprehension what submit means. You lack the ability to want to do it, or the, the, the desire to do it, and that's my problem too. So I want to give you three reasons or motivations from Peter as to why we should. Okay? Or why we are commanded to. The first one is this. We are to submit out of our love for Christ. We are to submit out of our love for Christ. Look at verse 13 again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. It's interesting that Peter uses a theological basis for the necessity of submission. It's not based on the government's competency, the ruler's moral compass. It's based on our relationship to Jesus Christ. It's for Him. We are told to submit out of love for Him. Now why? Well, one main reason for our submission would be simply this. He, as one who had authority, submitted to authority. He was in a position of authority, yet submitted himself to authority. Do you remember where Jesus in his lifetime and his three-year ministry submitted to the Roman government? Do you remember a passage in Scripture where he actually submitted to the governing authorities of his day? Do you remember Mark chapter 12? The Pharisees are trying to trap him. They want to test him. And they come to him and say, um, is it, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? Remember that? I'll help you remember. <laughs> and he's, and he's, it's a test because if he says no, you don't, he gets in trouble with the Romans. And now they have a chance of accusing him to execute him. Look at the passage with me here. They came to him and said, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius and look at it. They brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness in inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." Jesus' answer, You pay your taxes. A.K.A. you submit to the government in charge. Now you think... That the people in our day are corrupt and, and lack competency. You should have been in Rome. I mean, they make Pontus, Pilate, and Herod, and, and the emperor of the day made our government and ruling authorities look like Disneyland characters. This is these are this is uh some some uh, comments from commentaries I was reading, but I mean the Roman government was known for its tremendous corruption, its violence and brutality towards people, its abuse of women. It carried out infanticide. It was rampant in its sexual morality. I mean, we are we are obviously we were modeling these things very much in our own country, but they do it they were doing it. Uh, there's other categories of life as well in which they were just brutally and openly just uh, atrocious. I mean, just the fact that crucifixion is an execution method, and things like that. But Jesus says, despite these people, they don't even care about God, they don't give, give a rip about the God of Israel and his ways of life, I'm still going to submit myself and pay taxes. Another person who lived out their life in obedience to the laws of the land despite mistreatment from the government was Peter, the guy who wrote this letter. Remember his life after Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion, what happened to him? In Acts chapter 4, he's arrested and jailed by the governing authorities. He tried to, they tried to take away his freedom of speech. He was told to shut up and no longer preach the name of Christ. In Acts 5, he was arrested and jailed, and this time he was severely beaten. He was flogged. In Acts 7, he lost a close friend in the person of Stephen, and he was unjustly martyred by the government, actually by a mob of people who were in authority. In Acts chapter 12, another dear friend uh, was was killed, an apostle named James, one of his brothers, brothers in Christ, I should say. and uh, and this time by Herod. Yet, after all of this mistreatment by the government, he penned this letter. This letter came after that mistreatment in Acts. For him, the principle still stood, even amongst persecution, obey, obey the laws of the land. There's a lesson for us in here, that even amongst persecution then, that we still submit, and we don't retaliate, And we don't take up arms. We don't walk the streets with picket signs telling them how much they suck. Like they do in the States all the time. You don't, you know, surround town hall with making your your, uh, frustrations known. You submit to the laws of the land. So some of you might be thinking, does that mean we submit in every circumstance then? Or is there a time when we don't have to? Well, the answer is, there is a time when we don't have to submit and civil disobedience is expected and commanded of us. The exception is when we are commanded by the, the governing authorities to sin against God and His way of life. At that time, you, you submit to God and not the laws of the land. So this comes in two forms. If the government authorities ask you to do something that God forbids, you, 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 you don't obey or if the government asks you not to do something that God commands, you obey God. In both cases, you submit to Him. Now there are many scriptural references to people and times who have submitted to God's law above the governing authorities. I'll give you a couple. Exodus, remember, Pharaoh makes an edict. I want all the baby boys uh, killed when they come out of the when they're born. Get rid of them all. And uh, this is what happened in Exodus 1:17. Says, "But the midwives, who were their Hebrew midwives, who gave birth to all the babies, uh, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but that the boys lived." How about Moses' parents in response to that edict to have all the baby boys killed? It says, "By faith Moses. This is Hebrews 11, by the way, 20, 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents." because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. How about Daniel 3? Do you remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree in the land that they were to worship a golden image? There's three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, They wouldn't bow down and worship. Nebuchadnezzar finds out about this. He brings them forward to throw them in a fiery furnace, execute them, burn them to death. And listen to what these men said. We believe that God is able to deliver us, but if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their allegiance was to God. They were to civilly disobey Nebuchadnezzar. And one more. Acts 4, 18-20. Peter and, his, and the disciples have been told not to speak about the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. And the governing authorities the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and everyone else basically call him in. And uh, they say if you do this again, you're in deep trouble with us. And Peter says this: whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So, how does this practically play out in our culture? I'll just give you two examples, and I'm sure in dialogue you can bring up more. Let's say. well, actually, I see it behind Shannon on the wall there. There's a, there's a, a poster there of the, the um, fire code for this building. If it says in that there, I think it says in there, 165 capacity in this building, here's what happens. If we start exceeding 165 in this congregation and the, and the seats are filled, and, we, and we, out, we can't stay here anymore. We outgrow the space. We have to move. We are not free to break that code just because everybody. we, we want to have everyone come in here to worship God. If they have parking issues outside and they say you can't park here, you can't park there, then we obey the laws of Okotos and we submit to their, their standards. So when it comes to fire codes, parking arrangements, what, what kind of signage we can have out front, all those things, we submit to the laws of land. But if they come to us and say, by the way, you're not allowed to preach Jesus anymore, we submit to the Lord. We continue to preach His word because God's law supersedes the law of the land. How about in organizations where the government has restricted funding? So like we know about SABC and other churches where uh, in Canada right now the government is no longer uh, providing subsidization for the hiring of summer students unless they uh, basically adopt the liberal views of government. And I'll quote what you have to do to receive funding as an organization like SABC to provide uh, summer students employment. They say this, quote unquote, You must respect individual human rights in Canada, including reproductive rights, which is abortion, uh, the right to be free from discrimination on the basis of sex, religion, race, national or ethnic origin, colour, mental or physical disability, sexual orientation, or gen- gender identity or expression. So in cases like this, if the law, if we have a charitable status, which we don't yet, but if we get it, we have submitted for it, if we receive it, and in six months from now they come to us and say, by the way, uh, you have to sign this agreement that you are in favour of all these things, or else you lose your status, we say, bye-bye status, We'll just keep going as we are. The laws of the land do not have to be obeyed by us. God's law supersedes that, and we can simply disobey. However, we must be prepared to face any persecutions that may be handed out when we simply disobey. But like God is in favor of this, and He knows what he, he, he knows what's going to happen to us. It happened to Peter, and it happened to. Many Christians throughout the history age, and we might be in for that as well. Okay, so the first reason we submit is for the sake of our love for Christ. How about the second reason? Well, we're to submit because of the purpose that government serves to function in society. Because of the purpose that government serves to function in society, verse 13 and 14. Again, I'll read it. it says, submit yourselves to Lord's sake in every institution whether to be a king or as one who is in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. The purpose of government is the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. The purpose of government, as we can see, is to basically punish evil and promote the public good. That's the purpose, is to hand out justice. I like what Wayne Wayne Grudem said. He said, moral behavior, not economic status, or political favoritism, is to be the criterion for government. Moral behavior is to be the main frame of the purpose of government. That's, I think, a very important lesson for us, right? Because it's not to provide welfare. It's not to make sure the roads are paved. It's not to make sure you have running water, or there's nice flower pots on the streets. I mean, those are all benefits, and I'm grateful for them. But the purpose of government is to carry out law and order. To make sure justice is served. It's interesting, Romans 13 uh, gives the equivalent teaching on government from Paul. And look what he says about government in terms of being the punishing of evil and the rewarders of those who do good. Um, He says here, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. (laughs) For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. The government, according to this, is a minister of God. Because he's the one who established authorities. It's his idea. Government was his idea. So when he establishes it, he makes it for the punishment of evil. It's a sword bearer. And it's an avenger for those who practice evil. So here's where the rubber hits the road for us as a church. If the role of government is according to Peter in verse 14, to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good, and according to Paul in Romans, through the administration of the sword, hand out justice for wrongdoing, then if you and I submit to the laws of land, we don't have to live in fear. However, if we choose to disobey the laws of land, you have to live as if there's eyes in the back of your head. So if you live according to the laws of land, life will generally go better for you in terms of your relationship within society and living in harmony with people like Eric who patrols the street. If you disobey and don't submit, then Eric becomes your worst nightmare. So, if you choose to wear your seatbelt all the time, you get in a car, life will go better for you. You don't have to live in fear. If you obey the speed limits, you don't have to live in fear. If you treat a a traffic light appropriately, and the stop sign appropriately, and not like a yield sign, you don't have to live in fear. If you pay your taxes, you don't have to live in fear. And in my, fav- my personal favorite, if you don't text while you drive, you won't have to live in fear. And because I don't do that, I don't have to live in fear. <laughs> and confession and communion will be next week in service. <laughs> right? But these are just some small practical examples. Never mind the, the bigger laws of our land. But here's the thing, church, God has established patterns of authority, not to be restrictive, but so that society is orderly and, and functional. It's not to be restrictive, it's so that established that the society works well. It's orderly and functional. You know, there's three institutions that God established. There's only three. One is marriage, one's the church, and one's the government. It's interesting if marriage is functioning God's way the church is functioning God's way and the government functioning God's way you have a really really good society you have a great nation and it's no wonder why Satan is trying to destroy marriage destroy the church and put as many corrupt bankrupt people in government as possible because if he can do that he can ruin the nation the disintegration of the family disintegration of the church and disintegration of the government will break down a nation and it will become anarchy and chaos you can see why now Satan loves those categories of life and he's doing a very good job as we slowly in these three areas of our lives the church, the family and the government break down and walk away from God's way just on a side note just like off the cuff Uh, because uh, God's purpose for government is to punish evildoers and reward those who do good and right what's interesting about this is that if our governments actually were living out and practicing God's standards for justice there would be no need for any person to individually within society take matters of retribution in their own hands you'd never need to do it because you knew that justice would be served because your government would do that for you so you get hurt by someone in, 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 in any way, whether it's financially, physically, whatever. If you knew you had a just, righteous government, you know that you would not need to take out private vengeance because they would do it on your behalf. And this is why we are so frustrated with the courts of law, because this often doesn't happen. And many of you know Chris Butler, he's he retired now from the police service uh, he was high-ranking in the police service, one of the one of the top men, and when I, uh, him and I used to be like see each other on a regular basis, and we're quite close friends. And I'll never forget one day in his living room, he said to me, "Andrew, long, as long as you understand that we have a legal system and not a justice system, you'll be okay." <laughs> this is coming from one of the top dogs in the police force saying, "We have a legal system, Andrew, not a justice system." And God's saying, "I want you to have a righteous and just." system. But we don't have that because we're not following God. We don't have the leaders and, and, and their and God's principles in place to run the way we're supposed to operate. Regardless though, Peter says you still submit. Jesus did it. Gave Caesar his taxes, even though Caesar was a crooked, corrupt man. Finally, our submission, so our submission was for the Lord's sake, because of the, the, the purpose that government serves. Finally, our submission, provides, should, our submission then provides no opportunity for accusation from the secular world. If we submit, it provides no opportunity for, for accusation from the pagan world. I find that in verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now the word for silence in Greek is is basically to restrain or muzzle, like you muzzle an ox. It's to make someone speechless. So the application here is very clear. When Christians submit to the governing authorities and obey the laws of the land by doing what is right, they basically muzzle the pagan world who might seek to accuse us of wrongdoing. So if you're the wild man on the street in your car, right, uh, and... Um, and you're the one that's known, not known for paying taxes and so on and the, the world around you sees that and you claim Christianity, they're going to say, yeah, but uh, look at so-and-so, look at so-and-so. And they're going to basically have view God in a particular way because of our behavior. So if we obey the laws of the land, we silence our critics. So it's an opportunity for witness. So they may not, they may not like the message of the gospel. They may not like the person of Jesus Christ. But at least by obeying the laws of the land, they can't criticize our Christian conduct in regards to our responsibility as Canadian citizens. If we don't obey the laws of the land, we set the table for forfeiting our testimony. Now the worst thing for us then is that the government authorities perceive us as their enemies. We are to see them not as our enemies, but as a mission field. And I think Paul rightly understood this. And this is why he exhorted Timothy with this instruction in 1 Timothy Timothy chapter 2. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in authority. Right? He says, listen, we we know what it takes for a just system to be in place. So let's pray like crazy that the people in place become Christians. (laughs) So that God's justice can be handed out in appropriate and in right ways. Again, I know what many of you think of Notley. I know what many of you think of Trudeau, and I know what some of you might think of the peace officer in Okotoks driving around our streets. But the reality is, they were—they are still loved by God. The cross is for them, and when Jesus died, He didn't die just for you, He died for them as well. And if those people will surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, the cross is for them. Forgiveness can be granted to them. So we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. So I don't know about you, but even though I understand what Peter's asking of us, it's still kind of hard to swallow in many ways hard to think of submitting to authority that we ultimately don't think is credible and at times we think are restrictive and oppressive but in verse 16 Peter gives us an exhortation of how to get through this and tells us of an attitude that he wants us to adopt he says this act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God now as Peter speaks to his listeners here about being free men he's speaking in the spiritual sense Right? As people who have been redeemed out of the world, who've been forgiven of their sin, who've been uh, become aliens in this world because of the redemption that Christ has offered them. He's really saying, you're free. You're free in all these areas. You've been freed from the world, and really you've got no authority now in your life other than me. Right? You're free to worship God, and he, he be your authority. Their allegiance to him was to be first and foremost. But what's interesting here is that Peter's saying this, despite these spiritual realities, and these, this, this, they were not to use these freedoms as a covering for evil. In other words, even though their ultimate authority was God alone, they were not to use that freedom as a platform to do wrong still. So they were free, but they were still slaves. I like what he says here, you're a bondslave of God. So you're free in the sense of your relationship to God and Him being your ultimate authority, but as a result, see yourself as a slave. Slave to do right in society. You're not free to now live however you want. You live as a God, how God wants you in this society. And what He wants you to do is obey the laws of the land. Uh, I'll read you a quote from John MacArthur. He did a good job of, I feel, of summarizing this. He said, Freedom in Christ and citizenship in the kingdom of God And no way permitted believers to abuse or disregard their standards of conduct God had established for them on earth. End quote. So a result then of this, a result of being free, but still being a slave. There was a way then they were to treat people in particular outside of just the government. Look at verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Honor all people. Basically, I think what Peter's saying is this. The Christians are to be respectful and courteous to everyone alike. After all, everyone has intrinsic value, regardless of their color of skin, their gender, their economic status, because we're all created in the image of God. We are to show proper respect to every human being, regardless of what they think and what they believe and who we deem them to be are. Or who they are I should say we're to love the brotherhood of course this is a reference to the Christian community and I could say a lot about that and I won't because I've done, spent many times in many sermons speaking about how the priority the priority in love is always to be the Christian community first and foremost we're to fear God so fearing God not only to love him but to revere him to revere him. And I think in chapter 117, he gives us the reason why. He says, if you address the father, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay on earth. Why? Because he's not only a father, he's a judge. Right? So you love your dad, but you also know dad has the authority to hand out justice in your life. So there's a fear that comes with that. So we're to treat God the same way. We're not only to love him, we're to fear him, knowing that he's a loving father, but he's a judge as well. And we're going to have to give an account to him one day. And finally, honor the king. And that's the summary statement of the entire way that Peter's just taught us. How do we honor the king? By submitting ourselves to his authority. So what are the lessons we can take away? First one, Christians are to submit to all levels of civil government. We're to submit to all levels of civil government. That's why it says, submit yourself to every human institution. It says, regardless of whether they deserve it or not, they're competent or not, they uphold Christian values or not, we are to obey the laws of the land doesn't matter how indifferent we are or how much we disdain our leaders, we are called to respect and submit to them as legitimate institutions of human authority. We honour God when we obey the laws and we dishonour Him when we don't. Finally, or sorry not finally, secondly, Christians are not to submit to the governing authorities though when it requires them to sin against God. So the exception is that Christians are not to submit to the government when it requires them to sin against God. So again, if they make us sign petitions in order to receive certain rights and freedoms, we are not to do that. If they they ask us to do things that go against God's morality, we are not to do that. So we just have to stand up to those things and be prepared to face the consequences of whatever those may or may not be. Thirdly, the primary task for the government is the preservation of law and order. The primary task of government is the preservation of law and order. Verse 14, the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. This may seem like a simple lesson, but it's important because God didn't come to establish nice roads in the street and to give you an economic lift and to provide welfare for you and so on and so forth the whole purpose of government his main function was law and order and justice be carried out so again as much as we may not like them if we were to remove if we were to remove the governing authorities and the people underneath them especially like think of the police force remove them out of our culture not of our nation do you know how much anarchy there would be in our streets do you know how crazy it would be You want to talk about how fast you see the depravity of man? You remove them from government and you watch how fast in one month this nation will be turned upside down. (laughs) Crazy. So God established patterns of authority for orderly function of society. So it pleases Him and honors Him when we submit to them. And finally, as Christians, ultimately our submission needs to be rooted in our love for Christ. Not because the people who empower deserve it, but because Christ deserves it. He laid down his life for us and gave us a pattern to follow. You see, if he didn't submit to authority, we'd be all in trouble. Look at verse 21 with me before we leave the text. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What did Jesus do with the authority he had? He submitted to his Father's authority above him. Why? For us. He did it so that you and I would have eternal life. We put him on the cross. you you play your movie, take your life put it on a movie screen, he died for that he didn't die for himself he died for your sin so he didn't deserve to go to the cross for what you did but he submitted to God's plan to redeem us because he loved us so out of love for Christ we submit to the government who don't deserve to be treated well either but we do it because we love him he was a pattern for us (coughs) If, God didn't, if Jesus didn't submit himself to the Father, you and I would be paying for our own sins at our death. We're to model ourselves after him.